This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland. Today, I've got Dr. Art Markman. Art, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? I am great. Well, there, you know, there's something that the people from Mattoon, Illinois, they know, and you're not from Mattoon. You live down in Austin, Texas, but you went, you get your, some grad work done at University of Illinois. And we were just talking about the Bagel Fest capital of the world, which is Mattoon, Illinois. That's right. That's right. I, not, I, I, I gather not a lot of people uh, have been to the Bagel Fest. No, not a lot of people have been there. And, uh, but if you grew up in Mattoon, like I did, you know exactly what it is. And then you also mentioned the broom corn festival. So back in the day and I think that was an Arthur or Arcola, I can't remember, but, um, I went and there was this new country music guy that was coming. They thought he'd maybe be a big deal one day. And, and his name ended up being Garth Brooks. And I remember I literally was sitting on a hay bale on a stage and there's this guy, you know, my parents wanted to go there. I thought I'd rather die than be there, but but I was there and I sat on stage and watched this new young country music singer. And then now here he is selling out shows in 15 minutes for a hundred thousand people. Yeah. Yeah. He, he did. Okay. He's done. Okay. He's done. Okay. Well, you are a professor, you are an author, you are a radio slash podcast host with two guys on your head, um, working at the, uh, down there in Austin, Texas at the university of Texas. So it's great to be with you today. And, but if you can, or just give us a little lay of the land, what's made you the man you are today. And you don't just wake up and become a doctor and do all the things you're doing. You know, I, I, I usually talk to people when I, when I, when I try to think about how I ended up where I am, I think the most important thing for me has always been not editing my life story in the forward direction. Uh, that that's sort of the through line, you know, it's I, I went to college, not really sure what I wanted to study uh, midway through my college career, realized that all the classes I liked had something to do with the mind. And, and an advisor said, well, it's possible you're a cognitive scientist. So I declared a major in cognitive science and really enjoyed it. Uh, thought I might go into computer science because that was most of the courses that I'd taken. But in the mid 80s, computers were kind of slow and stupid and late in my yeah. college career, I decided, you know what, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to go to graduate school in psychology. So I went and did that, um, you know, thought I'd spend my career purely as an academic writing papers that get read by 30 of my closest colleagues and, 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 you know, pumping out <laughs> research papers and, and, and teaching classes. But about midway through my career realized that, that almost everybody I know has a mind and, not many of them know how it works. So I tried to bring a little bit of that information outward. And that led to some opportunities to consult for companies and 
And then the university, you know, you have to declare at universities that you're consulting. They want you to bring your knowledge outward, but they don't necessarily, uh, um, you know, they, they just they, they just want to know what you're up to. And 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 so I was consulting for companies and and they said, you know, we're thinking of creating a an outward facing master's program from the for the liberal arts to teach people about people and that became a program called the human dimensions of organizations that i that i helped to found at the university that started as an executive master's program and became a continuing professional education program as well as a uh, an undergraduate major we've got about 500 students running around campus wow. saying that they're hdo majors um you know, later on, I, I, I got a couple of years ago, I, I learned another valuable lesson, which is that when the provost of the university contacts you at five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon and says, can we talk that he's not about to make your life easier. And, uh, and, and this was in April of 2020, he asked me if I would help to coordinate the COVID planning process for the university. And so wow. I kind of dropped everything I was doing and, and helped us to navigate a pandemic. And, and from there, ended up with a position in the provost's office as a vice provost running our continuing and professional education and academic uh, affairs groups. And so, you know, it's just been one thing after another at, you know, even, even starting the podcast really came from giving a talk with a colleague of mine and, and having a, the, the woman who was producing uh, the, the live event ask us if we wanted a radio show. And, and, you know, she saw something in us that we didn't, and, and she's been our producer of the, of the show and the podcast ever since. So, you know, it's, it's on the one hand, better to be lucky than good, but it's also, I think, really just important not to assume that you know what is going to happen to you next and to take the opportunities when they arise. Yeah, you just took the words right out of my mouth there. I think what, what I hear from that is, is just saying yes right? I mean, yeah. you can say a calculated yes. And of course you probably thought about it and made, made the great decisions that you've made, but sometimes we, we can overanalyze, can't we? And then, and then we just don't make that step forward and who knows where you'd be. If, if you took one left or right turn, you may be in a different spot right now doing what you're doing. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's absolutely right. If, you know, for one thing, if you limit yourself to the things that you, that you thought of yourself as doing, you're limited by your imagination rather than the the, the world, which is way more interesting than anything we can think of. And then on top of that, you know, a lot of times people say, well, I'm, I'm not sure I'm qualified to do this thing. But A, you have to ask yourself, can I grow into it? And B, you have to ask yourself, if I don't do it, who are they going to ask to do it? And is that person necessarily going to be more qualified or better at it than, than I am? And, and often when you really think about it, you realize, no, actually, I, I can handle this, or at least I can learn to handle this. And, and even though I might not be 100% the right person, maybe nobody's 100% the right person, and, and maybe I'm, I'm at least as high a percentage of the right person as anybody else that they'd find. Yeah, I love that. And it makes me think of a, a story, a guy I was working with as a professional coach. This is probably, gosh, a decade ago. And, and he was telling me, you know, I was, you got to bet on yourself. You got to take risk. And, and at what point are you going to trust yourself? Right. And he said, okay, Brett, he goes, you know, I'm in the wealth management space. And he goes, okay, if you have this company, company X, that's done something well for 30 years, when are you going to start to trust that that company may be a good stock to buy? You know, we had that discussion and I get that logically. He goes, but on the decisions for professionalism, he goes, you're that company for 30 years, right? If you've been doing something for 10, 20, 30 years, 
when are we going to start to trust ourselves that we are the stock, the quote unquote air quote stocks here, if you're just listening to this, that you would buy, right? And I think that's where we got to bet on ourselves and, and believe in ourselves. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, we have to be willing to 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 recognize what our strengths are and and I often tell people that that we also have to treat ourselves at least as well as we treat our friends. And so a lot of times for example, you know, if you make a, a mistake, you can get really down on yourself. You can say, "You know what? I'm I'm just not I'm not as good at this as I thought. I I should just give up." If you had a friend who made a mistake and 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 something went wrong in their in their professional life, you wouldn't look at him and say, "Wow, you ought to just give up." <laughs> you just walk yeah, away. That would not be good. You, but you'd never do that. You would you would find their strengths. You would you would help them to see the various ways that that they can actually contribute. And and yet when it happens to ourselves, we overlook those strengths. We we second guess a lot of the things that we do. And I, I think I think we have to recognize, you know what? Um we we not only have to be willing to to bet on on ourselves, we have to be willing to look appropriately at our own balance sheet and and recognize the the assets that we have as well as the liabilities. Yeah. yeah. So I want to dive in. I usually wait till later in the in the podcast to talk about this, but I, I just had an experience. So I haven't flown in an airplane for eight years. And it's this massive fear I had, right? And I always talk about the fears we put in our mind they never blow up to the magnitude we put them in our minds to be, right? And that's just person after person, we've talked about this. And and I put this thing in my mind that, you know, that I'm going to be on this airplane. I'm going to have this panic attack. I'm going to do you know, all this bad stuff's going to happen. And we went on a friend's birthday. There were six couples. We just went to Tahoe this past weekend. And this calmness came over me, right? So I had to face the fear, scared to death. The, the week leading up to it was brutal. It's all I thought about. And, and so when you hear me talk through that, what, what have you either helped people with or what advice would you have for people that are having that same fear that wasn't realistic because the plane ride ended up being nothing, right? It wasn't yeah, a big yeah. deal, but yet you build it up for years and years and years to be terrible. Yeah. I mean, I think there's actually several pieces of this that are really important to think about. I mean, for one, you know, I, I was... So I'll tell I'll tell a slightly different story, which is is I was I was really struck years ago by the movie Bridge of Spies, uh, which with Mark Rylance uh, plays a spy who gets arrested, and and Tom Hanks is a lawyer who's trying to get him freed. And there's a scene late in the movie. There's a trial that's just about to start, and and Tom Hanks walks into the prison cell and he looks at the Mark Rylance character and he says, "You don't you don't look worried." you know, it's a day before this big trial, you don't look worried. And, and he looked at him and he said, would it help? <laughs> and, and, and I loved that distillation of it because it's not that worry or anxiety or stress is inherently a bad thing, but it has to be directed in the right places. And a lot of times we spend our, our energy getting worried about things we can't do anything about. And so we create fears and we ruminate over things that are utterly out of our control. And, and so part of the question we need to ask ourselves in any situation is, would worrying about this help? And if it would, worry away, think it through, plan differently. And if it won't, if that extra effort won't help, then you've got you've to kind of give, up, give, give that up and be willing to trust that, that 
that the rest of the things that happen in the world are going to happen as they normally do. And, you know, is there is there a risk associated with flying? Yeah, there is. It's a small risk. It's a much right. smaller risk than the things that we take on all the time, like getting in the car and driving somewhere. But at the moment that you get on that plane, there's nothing you can do about it anymore. Yep. And so and so at that point, you just got to tr trust that the universe is going to do the things that it's always done. And I think that there's so much in our lives that are like that, where, where we worry about the wrong things. We worry about the things we can't do anything about, but we under worry about some of the things we probably could do something about. So, you know, mm -hmm. you look, for example, at, at people who don't make a will, for example, because it's uncomfortable to think about your own death. Yeah. And so we, and so we put that out of our minds and then, and then we do things that actually harm our loved ones where a little bit of extra planning and worry actually would have been really useful. So, so I, I believe in both sides of that equation. Yeah, that's great. I love that, that we, we under worry about the things that we should worry about. You're spot on on that. So, but how do we, I mean, logically that makes sense, right? Like I know there's a greater likelihood that I'm going to get in a car wreck driving to the airport than the actual plane ride wrecking. Right. But yeah. logically I don't, I know that, but it's hard to do that. So like what advice would you have other than telling ourselves, ah, just don't worry about it. Like what would you do? How would we do that? Yeah. So the other piece that we need to understand is that worry is fundamentally about the, the stressors, the threats that are out there in the world. And so sometimes when there is a when there's something that intellectually, you know, isn't really a threat, but you're worried about it anyhow, what what all the research on cognitive behavioral therapies tells us is you have to face that fear. You have to just do it. And without with, you know, without doing anything else, just face it and go through it. And a lot of times you will end up with that same sense of calm that you were talking about. And it makes it easier to do that thing again in the future. You still might worry the next time you're going to get on a plane, but it'll be less. And when you face it again, it'll, it'll be less and less. And at some point, you'll, it, it, it'll just go away. So you have to face that. And, and it's because essentially the even the even even if the intellectual centers, those cognitive centers of your brain, understand that you're not taking a risk, those deeper motivational centers aren't necessarily listening to that cognitive center. And so, part of what you need to do is also to face it, to teach that that much older segment of your brain. Oh, there really wasn't anything out there that was threatening, even though I was worried about it. Yeah. And you're spot on too with having to, the more you do it, right? I mean, I used to be really worried about public speaking and, but now the more you do it, then it just goes away and you, you want to have some nerves or it means you don't care. Right. But the healthy nerves. And I think whether it's plain, whether it's, it's taking the risk at work or at home, whatever it may be. I think the more you do it, the faster we get outside of that comfort zone, the easier it becomes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with public speaking too, you know, it's useful for people. Part of the problem with public speaking is I think that older section of the brain worries about it, but then the newer section of the brain worries about it too. They think, well, what if I give a terrible talk? And I actually tell people, you know, carry that through to its absurd, but logical conclusion, right? You've, Right. You've been to lots of bad talks. Generally speaking, you just forget them. So, that's right. So, so the worst case scenario. Sucks in the moment, but. That's right. But the worst yeah. case scenario is you go out and you give a bad talk and nobody remembers it. That's right. 
That's right. That's that's the worst that's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So let's let's talk about. I saw you uh, maybe wrote. I think it was in uh, one of the magazines you write in, but uh, the habits of happy people. And, you know, yeah. I think and there's so much negativity going on in the world right now. So so how do we find that extra zone, if you will, for happiness? Yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting. We we actually don't open up a lot of opportunities for happiness for ourselves. So we spend a lot of time for example, really focusing on our responsibilities. And if you think about what a responsibility is, a responsibility is fundamentally, if I don't do this thing, something bad's going to happen. And, and whenever you are focused on that kind of, if I don't do something, something bad's going to happen, then I'm really putting myself into that, that focus on stress and anxiety, like we were talking about before. And if you think about what happens when you're experiencing stress and anxiety is when you successfully avoid the threat, you're not happy, you're relieved. Yeah. You know, I made yeah. it through. So, so how can you actually create the opportunity for happiness? The first thing you have to recognize is that happiness comes when you achieve some beautiful, wonderful, desirable outcome that you were striving for. So you are trying to approach some beautiful thing. And when you do that successfully, you experience joy and happiness, which means that one of the things that happy people are really good at is seeing the world in terms of those opportunities to pursue beautiful things and, and achieving those things and then celebrating those accomplishments when they do it. So, so you, you can, you know, so, so for example, uh, you know, here we are doing this, doing this interview today. I could have looked at this on my schedule this morning and, and thought of, thought of it as, well, I gotta, I, you know, I, I just gotta make sure I don't say anything wrong, you know, yeah. and, and then yeah. I'd, I'd be worried about it. I'd be stressed before it. And when it was over, I'd just go, whoo, well, I'm glad that went okay as opposed to looking at this as an opportunity to, to have a conversation with somebody new, to talk about some fun things, to, to, to potentially teach something to somebody that they didn't know before. And then, and then to go through that experience and hopefully experience some, some joy as a result of that. And then the other, another thing that happy people are really good at is, is taking a moment to celebrate the, the accomplishments. You know, a lot of us, we, we, we finish something and we check it off the to-do list and we move on to the next thing. And maybe we think that it's, you know, it's a little bit self-serving to take a victory lap. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not so sure that you have to celebrate it by getting in everybody's face to do it, but creating little rituals to enjoy the things that you do. I know, you know, back, back when I was spending most of my time writing papers for 30 of my closest colleagues, you know, if you're a successful academic, if you have a great year, I mean, like a great year, you publish six research papers over the course of that year, right? I mean, that, that's, that would be a great year, which means that roughly once every two months, you get at that piece of good news that says this paper that you've been working on is being published. Wow. So, you know, first of all, you'd better enjoy some of the other things you're working on so that it's so that your only source of joy isn't getting a paper published. It's got to be enjoying the process itself. But but also a, after you find out that paper's been published, I used to I used to have a little ritual I would go through. I would update my Vita and I would post a copy of it on a website and I would send it out to a couple of colleagues. And it was all just there to, to make sure that I took 
15 minutes, 20 minutes to, to celebrate the, the accomplishment that that was before just going, well, that's nice. And then moving on to the next thing. You just, you have to, you have to give yourself the opportunity to enjoy the, the, the things that you're doing. And, and it's not productive. It's not more productive to just immediately go on and do the next thing. You, you know, it, yeah. we, we have to create space for that. Yeah. And, that, and that's hard to do too, man. It's funny. I had this conversation with a friend one time. We hit a pretty big deal at, at work. This was just a couple of years ago. And it's like, what did you do to celebrate? I'm like, well, I mean, I didn't. It just kind of, that's what I expected to get done. And but when you really kind of peel that onion layer back and you it was a big deal. Right. And so and, I said, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. So it's funny you're saying that because it literally was a, a big conversation that we continue to still have now is to slow down and, and do it because I think the gift of high expectations is is great, but at the same time, that gift of high expectation does allow you just to move on and be like, yep, that was supposed to happen and I'm done, right? Yeah, Let's go yeah. to the next thing. That's right. No, it's exactly right. And, you know, it's, it is, it is. I, I think you're absolutely right. It's important to have high expectations. It's important to, to have some self-confidence to pursue those, to believe that your efforts will be rewarded. It's, yeah. you know, it, the thing about motivation is we are motivated to do things when there's a gap between where we are right now and where we'd like to be, but a gap that we believe to be bridgeable, meaning that, that we believe that the actions that we're going to take will actually help us to achieve that outcome. So we, we need that level of confidence, but we can't allow that level of confidence that led us to believe that we could do this overshadow the accomplishment of actually doing it. Yeah. So let's, let's turn the page to curiosity. I, I think, you know, I, I can't speak for you having a podcast, but for me, like I'm a fairly curious person about people's stories and it's kind of what makes them tick and all that kind of stuff. And so, but, but how do we become more curious at, at work at, in our professional, our personal lives? How, how do we do that? Yeah. You know, it's, and, and curiosity is incredibly important in part. I just want to say this as an aside, um, I did a book several years ago called Smart Thinking, and one of the things I talk about in the book is that it is the quality of your knowledge that allows you to solve new problems in interesting ways. And, and the quality of your knowledge comes in part from just knowing a lot of things. When you look at the stories of really successful people, they are people who know a lot about a lot of things. So, so there's incredible value in that curiosity. And in particular, in learning about things that you didn't realize that you needed to know until sometime later when it turned out that that information was useful. So I just wanna make that case first so that even those people who are doing a cost benefit analysis on the time that they're spending should recognize that there's a lot of long-term payoff to being curious. But I, I think that a lot of what you need to do day to day to, to make that happen is, is to ask yourself why a lot. When you see something happening, ask yourself, do I really understand why that happens? And if I don't, to spend some time finding out why it happens. So, so if, you, if you notice a friend doing something interesting, you know, talking to that friend, getting their story, but then maybe even digging into the psychology of it or the sociology of it or whatever it is. Or, or you know, if, if there's, you know, we hear, we hear stories on the news all the time about things that are happening in other countries. 
understanding why things happen the way they do in those other places is, is just, it's valuable. And once you start doing that and realizing that there are these interesting stories and interesting explanations everywhere, that does start to feed on itself because, because now you realize not only are, are there all these interesting mysteries around us, but, but we can actually begin to dig into some of those. And it's, it's just enriching. It's fun yeah. to, to find this, to find out. I, I talk about ADT, ask, don't tell. I, I, yeah. I found the better questions and we all know this, right? But the better questions I can ask, right? The better, the better answers I'm going to get, uh, yeah. but not even just for other people, but for myself. Yeah. And, and for me, it's, it's sitting here for those watching, it's this black journal right here, right? Mm -hmm. I can go in here and ask myself a lot of great questions and, and, and hopefully get a lot of great answers by spending that strategic think time with just me. Yeah, yeah there you go. You yeah, got one of the exact same too, thing. Yeah. And it's just you and an ink pen in your mind. It's a, it can be a scary place, but it can also be a very, very uh, productive place to spend yeah. some time in. And so, so while we're talking about productivity, let, let's talk about this. I mean, things for me that I learned during the pandemic is the productivity versus hours worked. Mm -hmm. um, I think that has probably changed in our world, maybe, maybe forever, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but when you hear me talk about productivity versus hours worked, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think there was definitely a long period of time where people took it as a badge of honor that they were going to spend a certain number of hours sitting at their desk each day yep. and that that was going to somehow correlate to a certain level of productivity. And I think what what we've known from a cognitive psychology standpoint for a long time is that is that you can only put forth a particular amount of focused effort in a day. And it's going to vary a little bit from person to person, and it's going to vary a little bit based on your habits. But, but for most of us, by the end of a six, eight-hour workday, there really isn't that much more focused effort you can put in. And, and to the extent that you push yourself to work a little bit more, which we all have to do sometimes because of deadlines or, or emergencies or other things, often what happens in those circumstances is that we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. We, we, we put in that extra effort, but then we spend the next day doing what I affectionately call fake work, where you sit at your desk and Google things at random and you're at your desk, but you're not really at your desk. Yeah. And, and, and so I, I, I think that, that, that we have to really, and I think what a lot of people have begun to discover because of COVID, because they were doing a lot of work from home, is that if, if you put in a good six or eight hours, that you manage to get through a lot of the stuff on your on your to-do list and and you could you could finish relax do some other things and and still accomplish a lot later i will say the one thing that's missing from that work from home piece is that there are a lot of workplace conversations that we miss out on that we have to find a way to add back into our life again in some way. I mean, I, you know, just this morning, so I'm, I'm working from the University of Texas campus and, uh, and I do have a certain number of meetings that happen each week in person. And today, just this morning, I was in a meeting um, with, with some of the other folks who work in, in our provost's office. And, uh, and after the meeting was over, several, a conversation started between two people and then three or four others of us stood around that conversation to listen in. And, and I learned several things through that conversation, but what was interesting was, it's the sort of thing that would never have happened if we'd all just logged into a Zoom meeting. 
Yeah. Because we would have, the Zoom meeting would have ended and very efficiently, we all would have logged off and gone on to the next thing. But by virtue of walking by this conversation, hearing something that I thought I wanted to know about, standing around and listening, I learned a new thing that, that, that I think will be valuable for me to know. And it, it also solidified my connection to a few other people. And, and that's the other piece is we've been really good in this work from home environment at staying connected to the people who are directly part of our team. But what we've been less good at is, is staying connected to the people that we would bump into at the water cooler or in the parking lot, or, you know, for me at, at a university walking across campus, you know, I bump into a colleague and get into yeah. a conversation that would then remind me of something or bring me into some other project. And, and, and it's those kinds of interactions that we've lost and we feel really efficient, but I think, I think there's, there's a, there's a little bit of value in inefficiency as if that inefficiency is basically allowing us to come into contact with some folks who, where we're having those conversations will ultimately be beneficial. Yeah. I think it's huge for the culture too. You know, I mean, for any culture at work, I mean, it just, to, to even today, I had a, a quick time for some lunch and me and an advisor, Scott here, just the two of us went, right. We got to talk about kids, baseballs and just, you know, life. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, like those things are really important, even though it's nothing I quote unquote learned or something for work. It's just, that's, that's time spent in the check the box of that's good quality time spent with somebody from work. Yeah. 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 And it, and it, it, it builds that relationship. It, it creates, yeah. it creates that level of trust. You know, I, I hear here you have a, when you have a deeper relationship with someone, you, you, you feel like, okay, I, I know that this is somebody I can rely on. And, and it, it makes a lot of other things you do a lot easier later because you think to yourself, okay, this is, this is somebody I know where they're coming from. Yep. Absolutely. I heard you talk about this norm theory, N-O-R-M, norm mm -hmm. theory. So if you could spend some time um, educating us on that, can you do that? Yeah, so absolutely. So the idea behind norm theory, and this actually goes back to uh, a paper back from the 1980s that, that Danny Kahneman, that many people will know from, from his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, um, he, he did that. He, he wrote the initial paper on norm theory with one of his colleagues years ago. The idea behind norm theory, though, is um, when, when we're trying to evaluate the, the world around us, part of what we do is to compare it to worlds that could have been, you know, in, 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 in order to understand, you know, did something go well? Did something go badly? Should I be upset about something? Was like, you know, so for example, you know, I mean, the, the classic example they used, which I, which I love is imagine two people who, who uh, get into a traffic jam get heading to the airport so they're trying to make a flight and they get to the airport and they each arrive at the airport um and one of them discovers that she missed her flight by a half hour and the other one discovers that she was she thought she would had missed her flight by a half hour but actually her flight was delayed and so and so it actually only took off five minutes ago hmm. so so the the second person is just they're more upset because they're thinking there are more worlds in which something slightly different could have happened and she would have made her flight. Even though, you know, technically speaking, they both reached the same outcome. And, and we do this a lot because when we think about, for example, a business deal that didn't go through, you know, part of what we're trying to figure out is, was I close? 
Did, you know, and, and, and part of the way you know you're close is that lots, if there's only a few things that could have gone differently and you would have succeeded, then you feel like, okay, I'm close. And it's upsetting in the moment, but it can also give you confidence that, you know what, if just a few things had broken differently, this would have worked out okay. Whereas, you know, if, if you're trying to structure some kind of a deal and, and you realize, wow, this was just a total mess. And, and you know, there's, there's almost no world in which this would have gone right. Right. Then, then you realize, okay, I I need to do things very differently in the future if I'm going to succeed. So this ability to conceptualize the world as being slightly different than it is, and and thinking about what would have happened, that's really valuable. And I think we use that skill all the time as we try to learn from the the, the failures that we have. And when I hear you talk about that stuff, so it makes me think about think. Did your journal say think on it, or what did it? I yeah, it did. You. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I thought I cut that that it said think. And so how much, how much time, whether the the norm theory or just thinking, like how much time are you actually spending time with you and yourself and and your journal and just thinking and, and thinking about these things that could have been right? Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's. I think I think most of us don't do it enough. Because, yeah, I would agree. because we because we equate equate productivity with doing a thing that is specifically earmarked to a particular project, maybe having a meeting or or writing a particular report. I think I think we all need to take a little bit more downtime. I, I've actually found that that having taken on an, an administrative role at the university, I have less time to just sit and think about stuff. I have to create more opportunities for it. And so, you know, when I can. Uh, because other people have access to my calendar, I have a yeah. few. I have a few fictitious names I put on my calendar that are meetings with people, uh, so that so that somebody doesn't schedule over it. But it's not really a meeting. It's 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 just time for me to do something. But if I yeah. if I, I found that if I called it just you know hold hold this time, then then people would start putting stuff on it because they'd say, yeah. well, he's not really doing anything then. <laughs> exactly, he's just thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you're right. I, I have, if you looked at my calendar, I mean, I have it from one to two thirty once a week on my calendar where it just says strategic think time and people know yeah. not to book over it. And it's just for me, it it's very it's 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 that time I need, you know, yeah. but it's when I tell other people about it or or tell somebody else to do it, it's hard for them. It's like, well, you don't understand. I got these emails and this and that and the other. And I'm like, well, I mean. I, I run up, you know, some businesses and have four kids and, you know, a wife and I'm, I'm fairly busy myself, you know, but again, it's what you choose to do with that time. And, and, and until you build the belief system around it, yeah. um, for me, it's, it's non-negotiable. And so yeah. for me, like, that's one of my non-negotiables, like to my core, you cannot convince me that spending an hour and a half by myself with a blank piece of paper is, is, is the most valuable use of time that there is. What is it to you, like to your core, that maybe I couldn't shake you from thinking that this thing is absolutely a must have on your calendar. Yeah. I, you know, for me, part of it is I, I love the opportunity to read some things that I, that, that have where I, I'm not sure why I'm reading them yet. So, I mean, that's, so I'll just, I, you know, I, I still subscribe to paper copies of the, of the scientific journals and I do it because this way I just have it sitting there in front of me, and I you know, always I have I have one open here right now next to me. I'm, and so um, I will I I really need to take the time to just flip through it and pick something that I didn't know anything about and go read it, because it never fails that if I do that 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 
something that I've read yeah. will turn out to be useful later. I, you know, I'll, I'll be glad I knew. It's it. amazing how many times it pulls up in a conversation, isn't it? Like within yeah. that week. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, you know, and, and, and to me, that's, that's the key. Cause I think at the point where we stop doing that, that's the point where you really stop growing and you become the stale version of yourself. Yeah. 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 I agree. And that really makes me go into one of my next notes here is the imposter syndrome. You know I mean? I think that as soon as we can get rid of that imposter syndrome, I think we all do it when we're young professionals and you're trying to be this thing. And, and then, but I found once I was able to release that, shed that, whatever you want to call it, the, the happier I became, the more product, more product productivity I had, uh, just the overall general wellness of what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's part of the problem that all of us have is you look around the world and you see skilled performers and particularly early in your career, you think to yourself, yeah. wow, that, that person, they're really good at what they do. Whether you're watching a music performance and somebody's yeah. you know, playing an instrument in, a, in an amazing way, or whether you're sitting at work and watching somebody address an issue in a way that, that you'd never thought of. And part of the problem is when you're watching that skilled performer, you don't see the path that they took to get them where they are now. And so, and so what you see is the gap between who they are and who you are right now. And I think that, that what all of us need to realize is we are going to grow into the next version of ourselves and, and we're going to make some mistakes along the way, but, but we're going to do a lot of interesting things in that path. And that, and that every successful person you've ever seen has walked that path as well. And, and so if you and so that imposter syndrome comes from from looking around thinking i am not yet qualified to do the things that i think i will ultimately need to do and the answer is you're right you're not yet qualified but that doesn't mean you'll never be qualified although if you never try anything you will not be qualified for those things and so and so you have to be willing to walk that path you have to be willing to find mentors who will walk you through things you have to you have to learn to find ways to try things with training wheels on you know i mean yeah. we don't we don't just set somebody loose on a bicycle on day 1 we ride for a couple of months with training wheels on where we get used to the feel of the bike and 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 the chance to wobble a little bit where we can't do much damage to ourselves and 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 you know at work there are lots of opportunities for training wheels you know going into a meeting with a colleague who can back you up if you get into a situation that you can't handle uh, you know those kinds of things give you a chance to try something to get feedback from it and to learn from it and i think if you you know the more that you treat everything as an adventure you know, you know, the, 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 the word we tend to use these days, we draw from Carol Dweck's work and talk about having a growth mindset, yeah. but really fundamentally what that growth mindset is all about is the recognition that we're all developing into the person we're going to be. And we have to allow that to happen. And, and that the only way you learn anything is by trying things. And it's okay if that, that thing you're trying, you, you fail. And in the moment, it might stink. But some of my best learnings are from the hardest moments professionally. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one, one way to keep that fresh for yourself throughout your life is, is to try some brand new things every once in a while. Um, you know, I think a lot of us, we, we reach a certain point, particularly if you've had some success, you, you reach a point where you think, well, I'm not going to ever be the worst person in the room at something ever again. 
Mm. But, but my feeling is, no, you should be. You should actually find some things to do where you are the worst person in the room. So I, you know, in my mid-30s, I took up the saxophone. Uh, and, and early on, I was, I was pretty bad. <laughs> but but you know ultimately after after playing for 10 years i i started playing in a band so i, I you know i got the oh, hang wow. of it and the big front end of covid um i i bought a i bought a bicycle uh you know like one of those crazy light bikes yeah. but i you know and and i fell several times at the beginning because i couldn't get my feet in those little clips but you know i i learned to do a new thing and 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 you know put myself at the mercy of other people to show me what to do and yeah, it's it's really valuable to 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 keep going through those kinds of experiences where you're just not good at something for a while, yeah. and it's a reminder that that you can keep, you know, becoming a newer version of yourself. That's right. That's right. Well, they say Dom Perignon didn't even create that uh, champagne until he's like in his what eighties or something yeah. like that. I yeah. mean, it's all these stories. It's just it's incredible. So, so the circuits of success, hence the name of the podcast that we're on here. The circuits of success they are attitude your belief system, your actions that ultimately get results. So attitude, beliefs, action, results. When you hear those, pick one of those four that kind of resonated with you early on. Let's spend some time talking about that. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I've mentioned this a couple of times before, but I, I actually think actions matter a lot. Yep. You know, it's, it's because that's the place where the, the rubber meets the road, uh, where, where you, you get a lot of feedback because because when you try things, you disrupt the world around you, and and you you're gonna make mistakes. Yep. And 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 that's the way to do it. You know, I think you know it's funny. We one of the things we talk about from you know in in education in the in the world of education is that that the best time to teach a kid a new language is when they're really young, uh, and and the ability to learn a new language declines significantly, and by the time you hit puberty it's really hard to, to learn a new language. And so of course, what do we do? We don't, in the US, we don't start teaching kids a second language until they hit puberty. Yeah. Now, now, why is it so hard to learn a new language? And the answer to that is a couple of things. One of which is that there are some brain changes that actually make it hard to learn some of the very subtle aspects of language as you get older. But the other thing is learning a new language requires speaking it. And, and, and making mistakes and saying things that are wrong and sounding dumb. And kids are perfectly willing to do that. Young kids yeah. are perfectly willing to do that. And then as you get older, you become less and less willing to sound stupid. Yeah, and, and yeah so that's you, right. And so you don't act. And, and, and so, you know, what's, what's most, what's most important is, is that you, you should be willing to act even when you're not sure that your, that your action is going to come out right. And, and that the only path to, to expert performance is non-expert performance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're right. That's awesome. Well, this is good, man. This is really good art. I, I think my goal is always get one nugget, you know, from somebody for a, for an interview. And, and I think people are going to walk away with tons of nuggets here. And I, I'm very thankful for that. And so if you can tell us about your books, you got smart thinking, smart change, brain, uh, brain briefs, and bring your brain to work. So uh, what is that? Four books, That's, uh, author yeah, of yeah. four books. Congratulations on Thank that. You. That's a big deal. Uh, so talk to us about those books and where can our listeners find more of them? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I like to bring insights from my field outward that I think 
might people might find helpful. So uh, smart thinking is is really a book about how to how to think more effectively. Um, you know how to how to develop really good knowledge and use it when you need it. Smart change is is really focused on changing your behavior, understanding your motivational system in order to be able to achieve your goals uh, and and to change your behavior when needed. Brain Briefs was a fun book that I actually wrote that with my with my buddy Bob Duke that I do my podcast and radio show with the show itself, Two Guys on Your Head, which is you know available wherever there are podcasts, is is a is a seven and a half minute segment that we that we produce for our local NPR affiliate. And uh, so it's real, it's not a it's not a big time commitment for people to listen to. Yeah. It's just seven and a half minutes. So what we did, you know, on the podcast, we just pick random topics in psychology and talk about them for a while. And, and what we did in the book was, was to do the same thing. We just picked a bunch of random topics in psychology and wrote about them in what we hope was both an informative and amusing way. And then, and then the most recent book, Bring Your Brain to Work, was trying to really apply a lot of what we know about, about cognitive science to thinking about your, your career. So everything from getting a job to excelling at the job that you're in to thinking about moving on to the next one or even changing a career. So, um, you know, and, and, and I, uh, I, I write about these topics a lot. I mean, I, you know, I certainly love it when people pick up the books, but, uh, but I write regularly for Fast Company and, and, and Harvard Business Review and Psychology Today. And so I'm on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and got an author page on Facebook. And, you know, so if people want to find me, that's, that's a good way to do it because I, I post links to the things that I do. And I've got a website called smartthinkingbook.com that has uh, that that also has some information about the books, but but I think social media is probably the best place to find it. Which is how we connected. I I sent you a message. I believe it was Jim Quick's book Limitless that yeah. talks about you in that book, and yeah. uh, and that's why I saw that and was I liked the part that, that you were a part of, and so I said, you know what, I'm gonna hit this guy up on LinkedIn, and here we are a couple of weeks later. We're yeah. we're having a great conversation. So yeah, I'm gl glad uh, you did. That's what's cool with the world. Well, uh, Dr. Art Markman, it's been awesome having you on here. Really appreciate your time and, uh, and all your wisdom you share with us today on The Circuit of Success. Well, Brad, thanks so much for having me. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 